This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Turn to the book of Job. We will be moving around in this book today. And trust that what we see there, God will use to bring peace and, if necessary, cleansing to your heart. Where we find ourselves in the book is really the heart of what is happening between Job and his friends. They're making one main accusation to him. Uh, That breaks down into other accusations, none of which are true. In fact, it's a little bit confusing because Job's friends at the beginning say, this is true of you, how you've helped others and so on. And then later on, it seems like they go back on that and they start attacking him specifically for how he's treated different groups of people. All of this weighing very heavy uh, on Job along with all the negative circumstances. Broken health, his possessions uh, taken, his children murdered or, uh, or killed in, in the storm, the wind that came and knocked down the houses, but we know that it really was murder because it was the hand of Satan that did that. And so Job's first defense from chapter 7 was twofold. And it may surprise you when I share this defense. He's trying to relieve the pressure uh, on his own life because of what's happened. And, and yet the Holy Spirit helps us uh, understand through the words of Job. This is how he defended himself. This is what he thought would help. And so it's twofold, chapter 7. He says, well, I'm insignificant. Therefore, I should be left alone. It's kind of an escape mentality. This really isn't fair. I don't know why I'm being picked on. I'm nobody. And at least in his mind, he thought that that was going to help. But as this develops in his thinking and with what he's saying, he does go ahead, and this happens right early in the book, he says, God's tormenting me. Now, those are his words. They're not mine. He uses that word, God is tormenting me. So he's justifying himself, I'm insignificant, uh, I, you know, I don't, I'm not anybody who deserves this, uh, and this is being done to me by God. We noted that this is unscriptural thinking, it's the flesh, it amounted to self-pity, And it's given to us in Scripture where we need to guard against that. And we looked at our significance in that message based on what God thinks of us. Do you know that what you think of you isn't so important? It's not. And and what I'm about to say, Renee, will probably remind me of later, okay? But what I think of me isn't that important. I can be given to self-pity. This isn't fair. You know, why me, right? Not helpful. 
Now, since Job knows he doesn't have any hidden or unconfessed sin, he turns to a second defense. This defense is very helpful. Now, again, we, we can see from his words that he's, he's stating what is true, but he needs to take it one step further, and we'll see that later in the message. But here's his second defense. I am righteous and not suffering for my sin. He's trying to, he's got some friends who are trying to convince him otherwise. But in this second defense, I'm righteous, I'm not suffering for my sin. And so let's look this morning at Job's second defense. Let's take a good hard look at it. This second defense of Job is in response to the overall thinking of his friends. And uh, this may encourage you, this will help us fast forward through the book. Because this really now is the cycle. Three friends really giving the same accusation. And Job saying, look, I haven't sinned. It's not a prideful statement, it's just true. All right, so. His friends are saying this, hidden sin was causing Job's suffering. I want us to see that this is consistent. There are three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. I think their intentions were good. Remember, they sat days watching Job. And they don't speak because really they can't speak. They haven't seen anyone in this kind of horrific situation. I mean, quite literally, while the smoke is rising in the background, they're looking now at their friend, and he is covered with sores, and it's bad. It's awful. And they sit speechless. Now, what, the, what should have happened, they should have broken out in a prayer meeting for the poor guy. But as one commentator said, instead it breaks out into a preaching conference, and it's probably the only preaching conference in history where all the audience really didn't want to hear what they had to say. And so, hidden sin was causing Job's suffering. Now, let's, let's see this from the text. With Eliphaz, the accusation is this. You have sinned. Go to chapter 4. Notice, please, verse 7. Eliphaz says, remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. What's the accusation? You've sinned. What is he relying on for this accusation? It's not what he knows to be true of Job. These three guys are on a fishing expedition. And oh, by the way, this is helpful because in your life, in my life, have you ever met somebody that they really had it out for you and they were on a fishing expedition? That's really hard, especially for somebody who's trying to live a clean life and please the Lord. By the way, when you start to question someone's integrity and they really are trying to please God, their flesh might take over and they might come out swinging, and that's exactly what Job does here. 
Chapters 1 and 2 speak to this man's godly integrity. All right, so you've sinned. And what is the basis for what Eliphaz says? It's personal experience. Verse 8 again, even as I have seen. What I think really matters. I'm an authority. We've got to be careful not to present ourselves that way, correct? Drop down to verse 12. You'll remember this was last week's message where Eliphaz has a visitor at night, a spirit. And do you remember who we saw that spirit probably is? Satan himself came to visit to reinforce Job's guilt. And based on that personal experience, again, Eliphaz, Job, I know, I had a visitor. Okay. Go to chapter 5 and watch how he continues. Chapter 5 and verse 3. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I curse his habitation. All right. His opinion. Go all the way over to chapter 15 and notice verse 17. I will show thee, hear me, and that which I have seen I will declare. What's the basis for what he's saying to Job? My personal experience. Once again, I would remind you, as the Holy Spirit has, has reminded me on multiple occasions, do you know with all the billions of people walking on this planet, your experience means about that much? In light of what everybody's experience is? The only way your experience teaches you anything is if your experience is consistent with what God has already said. Otherwise, I'm a speck, on a speck in this vast universe, and my experience doesn't mean so much unless God has taught me something from His Word with what He has shown me. So that's Eliphaz. Let's go to Bildad. Go over, please, to chapter 8. Bildad has the same accusation. You have sinned. Look at verse 20. Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evil doers. You've sinned. Now what does he base his thinking on? Well, his thinking is based on tradition. Look at verse 8, same chapter. But inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to search, uh, prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. So tradition, traditional wisdom that's been handed down, that's the basis. You've sinned, and tradition teaches me this. And then there's Zophar. Please go over to chapter 11. Zophar, same conclusion. Look at verse 4. For thou, Job, has said, My doctrine is pure, I am clean in thine eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee, and that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom 
that they are double uh, of that which is. Know therefore that God exalteth the le- of thee less than thine integrity deserveth. So again, a little bit more subtle, but the same thing. You have sinned. Based on what? Had any of these guys witnessed any sin in Job's life? Yes or no? No. No. Okay. We have someone that disagrees, but, but no. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> the Holy Spirit knew we needed a lighter moment. All right. But dogmatism. Dogmatism is the basis. Chapter 11. Notice verse 6. And that we would, uh, he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double of that which is. Know therefore that God exalteth the, uh, of thee less than thine integrity deserveth. Again, just this is a baseless opinion. Not based on anything. This is just my opinion, and I'm right, and you need to listen. Uh, I've met folks like that, too. God help any of us from being that person. Also, Job 20, verse 4. Zophar says this, Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon the earth? And I want to say to Zophar, how how old are you? And you know what man has said from the beginning? That's a little arrogant. But that's, that's the basis. This is my opinion. Sit up and listen. Only dogmatism would claim to know what has been since man was on the earth. And by the way, again, it reminds us, who should we go to because he knows what's happened with man since man was on the earth. And this is the record of what he thinks about what man has been since he's been on earth. So the application is this. The Lord is showing us the enemy and well-intentioned voices can use personal experience, tradition, and dogmatism someone's baseless opinion, to bring false guilt to bear on our hearts. And I I would just pause us here and remind us, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And he has willing allies many times, our companions, our family, our friends, who also make accusations and I believe that there are times that Satan plants those thoughts in their minds to accuse. And so they're all working together along with your flesh. My flesh wants to accuse me. All working together to put that pressure on our hearts. So again, we have the luxury of going to the end of this book to see the assessment of these friends, what God thinks of them, and the fact it wasn't accurate at all. Again, just mark this down. We'll we'll continue to go here because this helps our perspective in this book. Job 42 and verse 7. The Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right. 
So this assessment, you've sinned based on these things. God comes out and says, you're wrong, it's false. But then he says this, you have not spoken what is right, as my servant Job hath. Now God is, dealt, is going to deal with Job about things that Job is saying about God. God, God fixes that. Job repents, makes that right. By the way, Job's the only one who just willingly makes things right with the Lord. These other guys have to have a little pressure. But not Job. Again, it shows us what's in his heart. But what was Job saying that was right? He hadn't sinned. He hadn't done any of these things that they're accusing him of. So, if that's what Job spoke that was right, what do we learn then that helps us as it relates to sin in our lives? Here's the second point. No hidden sin is what supported Job in his suffering. No hidden sin supported Job in his suffering. The fact that he had a clean heart before God as he goes into this trial, it really saved the day. If you or I are tampering with sin, hiding sin, playing around with sin, and then something happens, it could be God chastening. It could be God getting your attention. Or it may be that God just protected you from something worse. The problem is now you've got to try to figure that out, weigh that out, take that to the Lord in prayer, because all along you've known you've not been dealing with your sin. God may be doing something where He's going to show His mighty power and glorify Himself, but now you're wondering did God just deal a blow to me because I'm not living for Him? And that could very well be what God is doing. Man is born under trouble. You're going to face difficult circumstances. Your world may completely unravel. You don't want to face that having a heart that's not right with God. All right, so... What helped Job? He's got a clean heart. Through these assaults, Job maintains what he knew to be true about his heart before God. Again, Job 27, verse 6, he says, My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. How important is righteousness to you? Righteousness, fulfilling our obligations to God. How important is that to you? Well, if it serves my purposes, stop! It's all about His purposes. You need to be righteous in your heart and you need to hold on to that. He goes on, Job 27, 6, My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. What a testimony. And again, how do we know that that's valid? Job did speak what was right. God said it. God allows him to say it. The Holy Spirit records it for us here. Now what's remarkable, I'd like you to go over to Job 31. And if you're taking notes, or you take notes in your Bible, Job 31 is 
his testimony, Job's testimony of righteousness. And notice even in a humble way how he approaches his righteousness. He is right before God. The, the book uh, starts out two times where God says to Satan, hey, you've considered my servant Job, that he's a just man, he eschews evil. Okay, Look at how Job describes this. He's not boasting. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? He would not lust. He made a covenant with his eyes. He took that seriously, right? For what portion of God is there from above, and what inheritance of the Almighty from on high, is not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? God does deal with sin. Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? If, and I would just challenge you to go through the rest of this chapter and underline every if, what we see is a real examination of himself. Okay, he's claiming, I don't have sin in my life. This chapter, Job 31, is the equivalent to David's Psalm 51. Remember his repentance psalm? David overturns every stone, every part of his life, and he takes a look, let's, let, lets God shine in there to see if the sin is all taken care of and dealt with. This is Job doing that. But what he discovers, he's not approaching it from, I have sinned. He's just making sure there isn't any. If I have walked with vanity, or if my foot hath hasted to deceit. Verse 7, if my steps have turned out of the way, and mine heart walked after mine eyes, and if any blot hath cleaved to mine hands. Verse 9, if mine heart have been deceived by a woman, or if I have laid wait to my neighbor, at my neighbor's door. Go down to verse 13. If I did despise the cause of my manservant or of my maidservant when they contended with me. And so on. He goes on and on and on. And what's the, the summation of it all? I'm a clean man. I'm right before God. Look at verse 33. This kind of ends his discussion. If I covered my transgressions as Adam did, by hiding mine iniquity in my bosom. He's saying, I have not hidden any sin. I've been open about it with God. I am right with God. So, this represents a thorough but honest assessment of his life before the Lord. His soul searching, again, parallels David in Psalm 51. What David knew was wrong, that he confessed. But Job had nothing to confess at this time in his life. His honest look inside himself did not reveal he had unconfessed sin before God. He was not a perfect man, and so this evaluation was necessary. But what he knew of himself was true of what God had already said of him at the start of the book. Job 1.1, Job 2.3. So what then are the main applications that we should take from this text? Job's second defense. Let me give you four and then we'll be done. Number one, 
What God knows to be true about, my, about sin in my heart is all that matters. What God knows to be true about sin in my heart is all that matters. Some of you may feel good about yourself this morning because there is sin there and you don't think anybody knows. False. He knows. He's all that matters. It is true, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I knowingly harbor sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, won't hear my prayers. Psalm 66, 18. However, if there is no sin in my heart, yet my heart is accusing me, God gives me help with that. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John. All the way to the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 3. And again, I want to encourage you as your pastor, this needs to be an address in your Bible that you can go to this fast. Your heart is going to accuse you when you're innocent. Mark it down. Satan's going to come by and drop one of those thoughts in, you're guilty, you rat. Because somebody called me a rat. I'm a, well, maybe I am a rat. No. Watch what John does here. 1 John 3. Notice verses 18 to 22. Verse 18, if we love in word, in deed, and in truth. And if you love God, you keep His commandments. So the idea is, I'm obeying the Lord. Notice the next verse. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure or persuade our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, yet even when I'm right, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Wow, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. You can be right with God. And just because someone is condemning you doesn't mean you're not right with God. And what other help do we have when our hearts try to condemn us with false guilt? Look at verse 22, same text. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. Now, What Job didn't do that John is saying to do is, so take it to the Lord. Job should have dismissed his friends and then had a prayer meeting. Lord, I just want to talk to you. You know my heart. You see what is true of me. I know what is true of me. But Lord, I'm getting hammered right now by false guilt. God, would you deliver me? Help me to see me in light of you. We take the false accusations of our heart and the enemy to the Lord. Now, what if there is a sin I have committed that I am not aware of? Question, is it possible for you to sin, not be aware of it, and the Holy Spirit not give you peace? What do you think? Do you know every time you sin? No. Have you ever had one of those moments in your Bible time, your devotional time, where you read a text and you go, oh, no. 
That's been 10 years worth of messing up. How am I going to remember that? Okay, so something's not right, Lord. Would you show me? And, and eventually God will show you. But here's the wonderful truth. 1 John 1, 9. How many of you memorized it? What does it say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that text is teaching? When my heart is to be clean before God, I want that. And I confess the sins that I know. I'm so limited here, there may be one I've missed. But when my heart is to be right with God, you know, when he starts cleansing me, he cleanses me of all the sin that's there. If that were not true, how could any of us stand before the Son of God one day and hear, well done? Impossible. But it is possible if I confess the sin that I know. So, what God knows to be true about sin in my heart is all that matters. Now, this is another application Job teaches. God will forgive, I'm talking about the book of Job. God will forgive known sin that is confessed to him. He will forgive it. And here's what's ironic. All three of these guys, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, they all say this. And the fact that they say this is true. It's just what they're saying doesn't apply to Job right now. For instance, Eliphaz, Job 22, 23. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. It's the whole idea of restored. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Is that true? It's true. Bildad, Job 8, 5 and 6. If thou wouldest seek after God many times, be times, and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. True or false? That's true. How do we know? Psalm 1. Those who don't sit in the counsel of the ungodly or in the way of sinners, you know, remember that, Psalm 1? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and whatever he does shall what? Prosper. He's right, he's just misapplying it to Job. Uh, Zophar. If you go over to chapter 11, again of Job, chapter 11, notice please verse 13. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands towards him, God, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far from thee, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot, yea, thou shalt be steadfast, and shalt not, what? Fear, the fear's gone. Because thou shalt forget thy misery and remember it as waters that pass away. God able to do that when we confess our sins? Sure. Was Zophar right? Yeah, he just was misapplying it when it came to Job. What does the rest of Scripture say? Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and 
forsaketh. That's necessary if it's true repentance. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. Just ask the prodigal son. Just ask David. We could go on. Number three, God will chasten known sin that is not confessed to him. We serve a merciful God, but when you sin and don't confess it, who the Lord loves, he rebukes and chastens. Job 5.17, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Psalm 94.12, Blessed is the man whom the Lord chasteneth and teacheth him out of thy law. Proverbs 13, 11 and 12, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. So this is important instruction as long as we are thinking right about where we stand before God. This means that if we're involved in any sin, we're confessing it. This means that we don't excuse known sin. As one author said, called them, respectable sins. Well, some sins aren't as bad as others. Since no sin stinks and it offends God. You say, well, we had a little conversation about somebody in our church. And, well, it wasn't so nice. But, you know, it's just, they, you just have to know this person. No, you committed gossip and you sinned. It's not respectable. You offended God. Make it right. We could go on and on. Number four, God does chasten known sin. By the way, he's very merciful if we confess it. He just wants us to be right with him. A lot of that just goes away. He's the only one that can stop the reaping. Number four, be careful not to charge God with mismanaging your circumstances. And all of this that we're looking at, be careful not to charge God with mismanaging your circumstances. Do bad things happen to righteous people, yes or no? Oh yeah, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, Lord, I'm trying to walk with you. I'm trying to keep a clean heart. What is going on? Stop. Don't charge God with mismanaging your circumstances. Don't do that. Don't do that. Did God intend good for Job when he gets through this, yes or no? Did God intend good for Joseph when he got through it? And we could go over and over looking at examples in the scripture. Don't charge God. At the beginning, Job did what was right. There's a reason Job 122 is in the Bible. And all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. But then things changed. And the end of the book is God dealing with Job for charging him foolishly. So Job's second defense was a good one. Job was righteous, wasn't being judged for his sin. Maintaining his integrity before God was critical in responding to his circumstances because this was his true standing. Let me challenge you, that's what you need to do before God. Please do that before God. If it will help, go to the Psalms and watch how many times David is sharing these. He's not arguing with God, but he's sharing arguments with God. Lord, I have tried to do this and this and this, 
and I'm being oppressed, but the enemies are doing this and this and this and this, and they seem to be blessed. Lord, what's going on here? And then David says in the Psalms, then I went to the house of the Lord. I got on my face before God. I started talking to God, and God cleared up all the confusion here. God said, I know their end. Here's what's going to happen. They're not getting away with any sin. And by the way, I've got you right here. You're going to be fine. Watch what he does. That's our God. So we need to be guarded against false guilt. Whatever its source, internal, external, we also need to be guided to respond to legitimate guilt when we let sin into our hearts. Let's pray. Father, these powerful lessons from Job are so important. And Lord, thank you for teaching us, but the reality is in the heat of the moment, when our hearts accuse us, when others accuse us, and yet we know we've been trying to walk with you, Lord, it would be so easy to forget these priceless, God-given lessons. Help us not to forget. Pray these things now in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Do you struggle with false guilt? What has God shown you this morning? How many would say today, God, I do struggle with false guilt, but you've taught me some important lessons on how to respond to that guilt. And by your grace, Lord, I'm going to take your opinion of myself over my opinion of myself. How many would say that to the Lord today? All right, several hands this morning. God bless you. God bless you. wonder if there are some Believers here today that would say, I'm dealing with guilt, but it's not false. It's real because I've been harboring sin in my heart. Maybe you've been excusing it. Maybe you've been hiding it. But God has pointed to that in your life today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but would you say to God, Lord... I'll address that. I will deal with that. I will confess it and forsake it. Would you say that to God right now? And by the way, please deal with that now because if you face a difficult circumstance and you're wondering or you know your heart's not right with God, you just made that problem much worse. And you have the opportunity moment by moment, to walk with Jesus and to be right with Him. Do you know that confessing sin is as much God's will for you as avoiding sin is? He's not shocked when you sin. He knows our frame. He remembers we're dust. Would you deal with that sin before God today? And if you don't know Christ as Savior this morning, this hasn't been a salvation message. But if you don't know Christ as Savior today, you can be forgiven from all your sin. If you'll just admit that to God, God, I'm a sinner. And based on Jesus' finished work at the cross, He died and shed His blood to pay for all your sin, to wash Him away. And then three days later, He rose from the grave conquering death. 
If you'll come to Jesus believing what he did for you personally and invite Jesus to be your Savior, he will cleanse you and give you eternal life today. Now, Father, work in these final moments we have together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.